of the chapter, and it is verse 31 tonight. Just raise your hand. Pastor John will slip you a Bible. As we want to make that available for you as we read the Word of God and study it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Again, tonight, just finishing our study in the book of Nehemiah. I want to remind you that on Sunday... Uh, we will be in John chapter 3. It's a very familiar portion of scripture to a lot of us. And that is where Jesus meets a religious leader or actually the, uh, this ruler comes to him by night uh, when Jesus is in Jerusalem. You recall that he was there during the Passover. Um, he would overturn the money changers tables and drive out the oxen and sheep, those who sold the sacrifices in the first cleansing of the temple. Uh, in his first year of ministry. And so the religious leaders are trying to figure out who Jesus is because Nicodemus, this man who's a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin Council, he comes to Jesus and said, we know that you come from God. Not I do, but we do. So they're trying to, to see who Jesus is. It's a very interesting conversation that they had. And Jesus said to him that you must be born again. And so we're going to talk about the most important decision that any of us could ever make in our life, and that is a decision for Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel, particularly perhaps somebody that you've been praying for that uh, doesn't know the Lord, uh, because they're going to hear very, very clearly the gospel message and what Jesus said, that we must be born again if we want to see the kingdom of God. So that's coming up on Sunday as we continue our study in the wonderful gospel of John John chapter 3, uh, 8.30 and 10.30. Um, other things that are in your bulletin, take a look at it. And, um, and then next week, we're going to start a five-week series on Wednesday nights on a call to faithfulness. And really looking forward to that. I hope you can come out and invite people out to that. As God has called us to faithfulness, we're even going to talk about it in our study here tonight, how God is using those who are faithful to him in a very powerful way and how he desires to use you and I and being a godly influence to others. As a matter of fact, um, as we've gone through the book of Nehemiah, one of the things that we have seen um, very, very clearly, one of the uh, great lessons of Nehemiah is um, when you become a godly example such as Nehemiah, he came not just to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and then left, but he came and he encouraged the people in the Lord. And even though there was opposition that came against the work of the Lord, Nehemiah was one that um, they became weak, they became discouraged, those who were building the wall, uh, they became afraid. Um, They were ones that were at one time thinking this is too hard. And Nehemiah was the one that, that stood up and stood forward and said, hey, God is great and awesome, and you fight for your brethren and for your wives and for your children. Um, keep doing the work of the Lord. And here's the thing. What we learn from Nehemiah is this. When you and I are a godly example, such as he was in his lifetime, he was a godly example to the people of Jerusalem and to Judah that you're going to have far-reaching positive effects on the lives of people and their spiritual lives. And we see that most definitely with Nehemiah. He was one that, because he had courage and he had strength in the Lord and he had fear of the Lord and was one that he stayed focused on the Lord, that he was able to bless a whole nation here that had come back from captivity. And, And he would begin to, as we saw, 
bring the spiritual reforms and revival back into the land. He made sure that the word of God got read. Um, there was a reading of the word and the people were quickened to the heart and they were convicted and they began to celebrate uh, the feast again and the, the house of the Lord, the priests and the Levites were in their places. And so Nehemiah was a leader in all of that. And I want to encourage you that as you lead in your homes, parents, as you lead in wherever God has placed you, uh, whether it's um, in your business um, to your employees, whether it's being a supervisor at work, whether it's coworkers, whether it's guys out there in the field, at school, wherever it might be, you have an opportunity to really bless others with your witness and your example. And we see that all throughout the scriptures. Joshua, he was one that was a blessing to a whole nation as he brought the children of Israel across the Jordan River and he was one that led them into victory and encouraged the people that they were to, you know, um, take the land as God said, that I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. And there was great victory that we see in the book of Joshua because of the leadership of Joshua who stood up and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So Joshua, a great blessing that he was to uh, the children of Israel as he led them in. We can look at uh, the lives of, uh, you know, some others there in the Old Testament, David. And we can look at some of the kings that we read in Second Chronicles, Hezekiah and Josiah, that led godly revivals because they stood up and they led in a godly way. And they led in, with godly example. Daniel was one when he was in Babylon during the captivity that he was one that he determined within his heart not to defile himself. And he was that godly example and used greatly of the Lord. And he was a great witness to those in Babylon. And we know the story of Nebuchadnezzar who at one time, this pagan worshiper, this one who rebelled against God, who built an image and said that I am God, that God would break him. And I know because of the witness of Daniel praying for him and standing by him and just being a godly man, that Nebuchadnezzar, that helped and Nebuchadnezzar with the breaking of the Lord, that he came to know the Lord. I believe we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Paul the Apostle, his godly example, and you see that he writes about that, not that he was, um, you know, being arrogant or prideful at all, but he would say to the Corinthian believers who were involved in all kinds of carnality and, and sinfulness and, and just plagued with that. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He wasn't saying that, look at me in place of Christ. He was saying, look at me as I follow Christ. And he would say to Timothy, follow my example. Timothy, follow my manner of life. Follow, you know, my manner of doctrine. And then you be an example to others, Timothy, in faith and in love and in conduct, in speech and in purity. You be an example to others. And I want to encourage all of us here tonight, the great lesson of Nehemiah from this great man of God, is that as we live for the Lord and we're dedicated to him, as we're that godly example to the people who are linked to us in our lives, you're going to have a positive effect on them. And you may not see all the results of it, but you know that God's going to use it and he's going to use you to bless others and be a, a wonderful witness to them. So here is Nehemiah. We've seen that he, in chapter 12, you recall that he had the priests and the Levites set in place as they dedicated the wall. 
it was a great worship service that they had. And the worship of the Lord has taken place there. Jerusalem was once again established as the central place of worship um, to the Jews as they'd come back from the captivity. And so he leaves, and, and everything is good, but he leaves to go back to be the cupbearer to the king, uh, Artaxerxes. And after absence of some time, then all of a sudden something happens. We see that the priest who was there in Jerusalem, he lets a man by the name of Tobiah come in and have a room there at the temple. Now, going through the book of Nehemiah, you know that there were two main individuals that were opposition against the work of God and against Nehemiah. Tobiah, the Ammonite, and then Sanballat was the other one. And we see that they show up here in this chapter that is bringing a negative influence and witness to God's people as they're in the assembly of God. So here is Tobiah. You recall that constantly he was coming against Nehemiah and trying to get Nehemiah off the wall. Nehemiah, come and, and talk uh, to us in the plains of Ono. Get off the wall and we need to discuss this. And bullying Nehemiah and mocking him, saying that if a fox walks on the wall, it's going to fall down. Trying to be deceptive, trying to threaten him, intimidate him, uh, trying to get Nehemiah to compromise. But Nehemiah said, I will not get off off this wall and that is a great lesson that we've learned and discussed quite extensively that the enemy will come to us and he will use those tactics against us trying to get us off the wall off track trying to keep us from serving the Lord and living for the Lord and we need to stay focused on the Lord and not be deceived it is Paul the Apostle that wrote, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And we don't want to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. As he comes along and he intimidates, he bullies us, he tries to deceive us, he will try to get us to be fearful, uh, to compromise, all kinds of weapons that the enemy has to use against us. But we need to continue to keep our focus on the Lord and be wise and discerning just as Nehemiah was. So Nehemiah here, he's... Um, doing these reforms, and the other ones that was Sanballat, the other uh, opposition that came against Nehemiah. He comes back uh, after being absent for a while, and there is Tobiah, has a room in the house of the Lord. So we discuss, as we read in the first nine verses last week, that it was Nehemiah that took Tobiah, threw him out of the temple, out of the room and all this stuff, and ended up cleansing the, the room again. And you recall that Tobiah there, again, not any, um, you know, was an individual that totally was in rebellion against God and the work of God and the people of God. And he had great influence. He was there at the headquarters, at the house of the Lord, having a room. And we know that it affected, you know, the service of God and, and their worship of the Lord and, and the work of the Lord going on because what we're going to read now as we go into verse 10 is that the Levites who should have been there at the temple are now out in the field working because Tobiah, those rooms were to be used to store the first fruits and the tithes and the provision for the priests and the Levites that were doing the work of the Lord at the temple. Let's begin to look at that at verse 10 as we continue reading of Nehemiah chapter 13. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given uh, them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place 
And then all Judah, verse 12, uh, brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed the treasures over the storehouse, Shelemiah, the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Pedaiah. And next to him, them was Hannah, the son of Zachar, and the son of Mataniah. And for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Verse 14, remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God, and for its services. So here problem number two comes up. He's already kicked out Tobiah and all of his stuff. Get out of the house of the Lord. And Tobiah, again, I believe had great influence because we've seen his record here in this book. He was always coming against the work of the Lord and uh, service to the Lord and against God's people. So you know that he had influence of saying, I'm going to set up shop here. The Levites, they don't need to be provided for anymore. They can go out and work. Now, we know what God's word says very clearly, that the people, when they came into the promised land, the different tribes had an allotment of land. And as they were given allotment of land, then the families were. And what they would do is they would have uh, wheat fields and vineyards and, and orchards, and they had cattle, and they were able to provide for themselves in the harvest. But the Levites, the Lord said, you're not going to get an inheritance. That is an inheritance of land. I'm going to be your inheritance. You're going to be the priestly tribe. They were given 48 cities throughout the land of Israel. But the Levites, as they would serve at the tabernacle, and then as we saw in the first temple period, uh, David would set them up as they were, there were singers and the musicians and gatekeepers and the priests, and they served and assisted the priests in the work of the ministry. They had rotations, but they were to be provided for by the people who brought the tithes, who brought the new wine, who brought the grain, and that's how they were provided for, so they could focus on the work of the Lord. So now here's Tobiah. He says they don't need to do that. He had great influence over the priests. They can just go out and do their own work. So here's Nehemiah saying, why is this happening? Why is this taking place? And, um, and we know that... Um, he would rebuke the leaders here, Nehemiah, and he said, why is the house of God forsaken? Why is the house of God forsaken? And may we never forsake the work of God. It was the people that gathered and said, let us rise up and, and do this good work. And they did. They rose up and they built the wall. But that was only the beginning of it. God wanted to make sure that the nation prospered once again, and that meant that they were going to do the work of the Lord spiritually, and, and they were going to be obedient to the Lord. And that meant that the temple worship and services was going to be done, and the priests and the Levites were going to lead in that way. So a couple things here that we see, that the people stopped giving. They didn't think it was very important. And a couple things to remember. One is when people are declining spiritually, if people are sometimes what we call backsliding, one of the first places that it shows up is in giving. You show me somebody who's really struggling spiritually, and we can go through seasons like that, I understand that, but somebody who's really beginning to go in that direction, that they're not interested in spiritual things, they're not interested in walking with the Lord, they're not as interested in serving the Lord, it begins to show up in their giving, not just financially, but in their service to the Lord and their devotion to the Lord. 
You show me somebody who is excited about taking in the word of God and growing in the Lord and excited about the things of the Lord, it will show in their giving. That is, they're going to give freely and willingly and cheerfully, and they want to give to the Lord, not only financially, but their service and their devotion and their worship to the Lord. You see, the difference between worldly people and godly people is worldly people focus on what they can get. We as Christians, we should be focused on what we are to give. You know, one commentator said this, that the world is full of two kinds of people. There is the givers and there is the takers. The takers eat well, but the givers sleep well. So here is the stopping of the giving. Tobiah, it's not important to give to God. It's not important to give to the work of the Lord. And the people bought into that. I know Tobiah had an influence in that because he's a worldly individual. So here Nehemiah says, why is the house of the Lord being forsaken? Why is the work of the Lord being forsaken? This is not good, and he corrects it. So the people begin to, to uh, bring in, um, the, the tithes and the grain back so they can come back and do the work of the Lord. And notice that he appointed treasures over the storehouse, and they were considered, underline it, to be faithful. They were considered to be faithful here. As we see their names here in, in verse uh, 13, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pedaiah, and Hannah, and, and those guys are faithful, and their task was to distribute to the brethren. Listen, if you want to be used of the Lord to a greater degree, as we're going to talk about over the next five weeks, then the Lord desires to find you to be faithful. And we see that even in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that Paul writes that, moreover, it's required of a steward that a man be found faithful. Steward, a steward to the master. You see, that steward, if he was a good steward, he had to be faithful to the master. And he knew, you know, what to do and when to get the goods of the master when the master asked for it. He took care of you know, the things of the master, you know, and when the master called for something, he knew where to go and get it. He knew when to bring it back. He knew what the master wanted, what the master expected of him. That's what made a good steward, and the number one quality was is that he was faithful. He was faithful to the master. You and I be faithful to our master, Jesus Christ. Be faithful to him and living for him if you want to be used to a greater degree. And Paul, when he was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, said, commit these to faithful men. As you are learning from me, Timothy, then you commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So be faithful to the things of God, that is what he requires and asks for, and he then is going to use us to a great degree as we are faithful to him. It's very important. The other thing that we see here that we read, in this situation of the priest not being provided. Notice that um, he acts. He gets Tobiah out of there. He says, why is the house of the Lord, the work being forsaken? He appoints leaders, men that are to, you know, redistribute the, f- the food and make sure that the priests and Levites are cared for and provided for. In chapter 2, it's interesting that Nehemiah, he prayed first, and then he asked the king, you know, he spoke, that may I go back and build the wall. Here we see in chapter 13 that he acts first and then he prays. 
a lot of times in our lives, it is a good practice. What we talked about in chapter 2 is, is that we are to pray. Lord, am I to go in this direction? Lord, am I to do this thing? Lord, am I to, you know, um, you know, in making a decision? Help me, guide me, you know, guide me through your word. So it's important that we pray and then we act. But there are some times in our lives that we need to act immediately and then we'll pray. It's kind of like uh, the Red Sea crossing. Moses there in Exodus chapter 14, you know the story. As the children of Israel were backed up against the Red Sea, and here come the Egyptian chariots about ready to barrel over them, and, and here is Moses as he's saying, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, and, and the Lord says, Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to move forward. In other words, Moses, be quiet and let's get going. Lift up that rod, divide the sea, and you need to get going. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people to move forward. So I imagine Moses, you know, at that time as the Egyptians, you know, there, and, you know, he's, he's you know, probably hiding behind the rock saying, Lord, this doesn't look good. What do I do? And Moses, lift up that rod. Get moving. Why are you crying out to me? It's kind of like if we were in a parking lot, and, you know, at King Supers or Target or Walmart, real busy parking lot, and you have a toddler and he runs out into the parking lot, you're not going to stop and say, oh, Lord, protect them. And, Lord, be with them. And I pray there's a lot of cars going on, you know, driving all over the place that, that you know, my son, my daughter isn't hurt. You know, you don't do that. You immediately go after them, right, and you grab them. And then you pray. And you say, thank you, Lord, that you protected them. And I think as parents, we've experienced something like that. There's action that needs to be taken immediately. Listen, there are times when the Lord wants us to act right away, when we know what to do is right before the eyes of the Lord, and we know that we need to do it now. So that's what Nehemiah is doing. He acts, he uh, takes care of the situation he knows to be right, and then he prays, and he's praying there that remember me, oh my God, concerning this, do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God and for its services. And you know what? The Lord does remember the things that you do for the Lord and your faithfulness to him. We see the third problem come up in verse 15 through verse 22. Let's read about that. And in those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses and on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, verse 18, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, verse 19, as it began to, to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares and lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice, 
And then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. In verse 22, And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves, and they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And remember me, O God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. So the problem was they weren't keeping the Sabbath. And you know that God had made that covenant with the children of Israel that you're to keep the Sabbath day. He said to them, just as I created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the Sabbath, so you shall work six days and you rest on the Sabbath day. And so what happened was that, again, with the influence of Tobiah and Sanballat that's going to come up, and those who were influencing God's people, the assembly of God, that's where they were, that they were influencing them and being disobedient to God. And one of those ways was not only not providing for the priests and the Levites and making them go out and work, but we're going to make money and we're going to have the market open and we don't care about the Sabbath. We don't care about uh, keeping it holy and we're going to be selling goods and the people are going to be working. You notice in verse 15 that they were treading the wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in sheaves, loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens on the Sabbath day, which I warned them about on the day in which they were selling provisions. So they were being disobedient doing their work on a Sabbath day. And the Jewish merchants, you know, didn't want to miss out on making more money on a Sabbath day. And those from Tyre up north and other places, they were coming and they were going to, you know, hey, we're going to be here at Jerusalem and we're going to be here to sell our goods and stuff. And they would even camp out at night waiting for the doors to open up on a Sabbath day so they can come in and do their business and so Nehemiah says, this isn't right. This isn't good. And so he tells those merchants, don't even show up. Don't be hanging out outside the gates. He told the leaders, you shut those gates and they stay shut until after, after the Sabbath day. Listen, a couple things. That again, that we've talked about the Sabbath and the Sabbath day was a holy day to Israel. Now, there are those who will come along and say, well, you need to, as a Christian, you need to observe the Sabbath day. As a Christian in the New Testament, we are not under the Sabbath law. It was Paul that said that in Romans, that one man esteems one day above another, one man esteems every day like you be convinced in your own mind. If you want to observe the Sabbath, that's between you and the Lord. But we know that in the New Testament, that Colossians chapter 2 tells us that we're not to judge one another concerning festivals and feasts and new moons and Sabbaths. So we're not under the Sabbath law. But the Sabbath day, to take a day to be refreshed and renewed in the Lord, that's a really good principle for us. To take that day of rest, to reflect and to be refreshed in the Lord. And I'm one that I've said this before, I, I esteem every day. Like I think every day is a day to enjoy the Lord. We can come together and worship. Um, but I think that the Lord desires for us to take that time and that we are to be refreshed and renewed in the Lord. And I think that's a good principle. But what we see here is they were violating it. And I just want to say this as we make application here tonight. And I hope that I'm able to articulate this uh, well enough, and I hope you hear my heart on this. Every single one of us, we need to make the decision. What is the priority in our lives? 
Is it the spiritual things or the worldly and material things? And as we look at this, as they were making money, I'm not saying that you can't try to be a better businessman. I'm not saying that, you know, making money is evil at all. No. We know that the scripture says that greed, that that's a bad thing. We know that the scripture says that it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. But as we look at this, we need to, in the honesty of our hearts, what is the priority? You see, the priority right here was at this time when Nehemiah came back, Tobiah set up shop. The priests and Levites are out in the field working. They're not being provided for. The work of the Lord is being forsaken. All of a sudden, here's all this merchandising and things that are going on on a Sabbath day. It's, you know, a lot like what it reminds me what we talked about on Sunday. Remember on Sunday as Jesus cleansed the temple and he said, don't make my father's house a house of merchandise because what started out to be a good idea in providing for sheep and oxen and, and doves to be sacrificed for Passover for the traveler, all of a sudden the priests were making all these, you know, um, making all this money and uh, as they were ripping the people off and the selling of oxen and sheep, and the exchange of money. So Jesus saw that the people were being ripped off and taken advantage of by the very ones that should be ministering to them. They had lost the spiritual perspective and the worldly perspective and priorities replaced all of that. They were only interested in making a buck. We have to make a decision. What is a priority in our lives? Is it the spiritual priorities where, Lord, that I'm going to be in fellowship with you? That, Lord, that we're going to be about the things of the kingdom. That men in your homes, you're going to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That you're ones that say, we're going to take in the word of God. And we're going to make the word of God a priority in our lives and being worked out in our homes. Are we going to be ones that we make those spiritual priorities? And I've got to say this, what I've seen a trend in the church, and I'm not saying this condemningly, but very honestly, but Sundays have been just become an ordinary day in the lives of many Christians. And what has happened is that the hobbies and the shopping and the festivals and the sports have taken priority. And it ends up affecting them spiritually. Now listen, I'm not saying because you go on a vacation or, you know, you go fishing for the weekend or, you know, you have a ball game or a tournament on a weekend, but what is the priority, honestly? And there are so many activities that are going on now in the weekends and on Sundays. You know, it's interesting that you can go over to Hobby Lobby and a lot of you know, you ladies go over to Hobby Lobby and, and you see on the door it says, we're closed on Sunday so our workers can worship and so our, you know, customers can worship as well. We applaud that, don't we? Hey, that's so cool. Um, Chick-fil-A. You know, they're closed on Sunday. We applaud that. And we do. Because our leaders say, you know what, it's a priority for us to be closed on Sunday. That's our Sabbath day, if you would. And we're going to provide for our people to be able to be in worship. But what about us? As Sundays, and I know, listen, I know the reality 
of our society is people have to work on Sundays, that, you know, um, there's jobs that you have, there's a lot of activities going on, things like that. And I'm not saying that God loves you less or you're not a Christian because, you know, you got ball games or whatever, but what is the priority, really? Has Sunday just become another day where all the activities have the priority? And listen, parents, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. That if that's what you are teaching your children, you know what's going to happen when they get out on their own? Being in church isn't a priority for them because that's what they learned. And learning of the Lord and taking in of the Word of God isn't important to them because everything else was a priority over being in fellowship and for getting dressed and coming to church and being a part of a body of believers. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen where, where parents said, you know what, we're so involved in this thing, we won't see you for another six months. And then when the kids get older and they get in high school, they're going, I don't understand. You know, my son, my daughter isn't interested in the things of, you know, God. They're not interested in Bible study. They're not interested. They don't want to come to church because that's what they learned. It wasn't important. Well, maybe you had a great time in enjoying the hobbies and a great time going to all the different activities and maybe they won a championship, but where are they spiritually? So I'm saying this is something that you as a parent have to take to the Lord and really, Lord, are we just making that day where it is to honor you and be in fellowship with others, where everything else is a priority over that. And there's a lot of pressure that can be put on you. Hey, you've got to be involved in this. You've got to go here. You've, you've got to, to miss out on Sundays. You know, you've got to be at this tournament, and then you're there, and there's five other Christian families that are there, and they're not in fellowship. So I'm not saying this so we can boost attendance, all right? I'm saying this because over the course of time, in the long run, it will begin to affect your family and begin to cheat you and rob you spiritually and begin to teach that lesson to your kids that it isn't a priority things of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And if you make the worldly things a priority over God, then you're going to end up in your family being the loser. The church of Laodicea, the Lord said, because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing, don't you know that you're wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked? So Nehemiah brings out a very important application for us. Again, hear my heart on this. I'm not saying that you quit the sports. I'm not saying that you can't go out and enjoy the weekends in the summer. I'm not saying that you can't work on Sunday, whatever those things. But what is a priority? What is really the priority with you? Is it the spiritual things in your home and the spiritual life of your family and saying that we're going to honor the Lord in everything that we do and He is going to be the priority and that is being lost because it's so easy to let everything else become the priority over being with God's people, taking in God's word 
and being where you're serving the Lord. So Nehemiah, he rebuked them, told them to stop. He rebukes the leaders who are allowing this. He ordered the city and the gates to be shut. And so leaders, you leaders at home, sometimes there needs to be things that need to be shut out of your home. And then make Jesus the priority of your home and of your lives. Problem number four, verse 23. In those days I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons for yourselves. And did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing uh, all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashab, the high priest, um, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. So again, they're being rebuked in her marriage with foreign wives. And we've talked about this with Ezra, and this was a problem going on during this time, to where, again, it was a negative influence on the spiritual life of the nation. So much so here, we see that, first of all, Nehemiah pulls out their beards, you know. You think I can be hard? <laughs> I'm pretty mellow compared to old Nehemiah here. So be blessed, okay? But Nehemiah, just a zeal and a passion, he says, this is, this is not good. This is going to hurt us. Look at Solomon. Solomon married those foreign wives, which called, caused him because they had that influence over him to where he was burning incense to those false gods and making temple to them. And it did have a negative, far-reaching impact on the nation because that introduced idol worship back into the land once again. Ever since David, a man after God's own heart, David never bowed the knee to an idol. David made mistakes. He sinned. Yes, we see that. But he was faithful in worshiping God. And Solomon started out well, but then he was influenced by those foreign wives to where idol worship was brought back into the land. And you know the rest of the story that followed after that that would eventually lead to Judah being into captivity. And they've just come back from the captivity. And here Nehemiah is saying it's starting all over again. But here we see that the people weren't even speaking the language of Judah. But I want to make a, a, another application here tonight. That you're not even speaking the language of Judah, but Ashdod. So what I want to ask all of us a question here tonight. What language are you speaking? What language are you speaking? When Peter was there at the courthouse, in the courtyard at Caiaphas, when Jesus, we will see at the end of John's gospel, when he goes on a series of trials, he goes before the Sanhedrin council, he told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter, he's there in the garden, he swings his sword, he gets Malchus' ear, the high priest, and, and Jesus heals Malchus' ear, and then they all split. And Peter, he eventually comes into the courtyard of Caiaphas where Jesus is inside 
on trial before the religious council and he's being beaten and there is the people saying, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? You know him, you're one of the followers. And Peter began to swear and curse. And then a little girl comes up and says, hey, you're one of them. You're a Galilean, your speech betrays you. You got the accent of a Galilean. And here's Peter cursing and swearing and denying. You know, fishermen up in the Galilee region were known for their cursing and swearing because their nets get all tangled up and they get frustrated. You have that accent. Your speech betrays you. So what language are you? What language am I speaking? When we're at the workplace, we're, we're at home talking to our wives and our children. When we're with our friends, when we're with other people. Oh, we can come here and we can, you know, say, hey, brother, amen, and, and use the Christian terminologies. And, but what is your speech like? When you're with other people, is it glorifying God? Is it pleasing in the eyes of God and what he's hearing in his ears? And the Bible has a lot to say what it is that we speak. And we know, again, that it was Paul that told Timothy, you be an example to the believers in your speech. Are you speaking truth to others? Is your speech seasoned with grace? Is it praising God or is it very worldly? And I think that's something that we need to always remember, that what we say is going to show where our heart is at. Because Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will come out of the mouth. He says, what comes out of your mouth shows what is in your heart, and it's true. So may we be ones that we want to speak those things, truth of the word of God, we want to be seasoned with grace and compassion to others. And we want to speak a kingdom language, don't we? And then as we finish here tonight, verse 28, one of the sons of Jehoiada, well, I read that, Eliashab, Sanballat, the Horonite, therefore I drove him from me and remembered them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and Levites, each to his service, and to bring the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O my God, for good. Listen, the Lord remembers for the good that we do. So live for him. You honor him in your life. You honor him in your family. Keep him the priority. Let your speech be one that is pleasing to the Lord. And don't forsake the work of the Lord and the giving to the Lord. Amen? For you individually, for your family, for this church. Just keep our eyes on the Lord. And remember that the Lord's going to, you know, uh, always see the work that we're doing. And he's going to bless us. And he's going to bless your family and that um, he sees it and it honors him. May we honor him with our lives. And then so next week we'll start that series, A Call to Faithfulness. That's my prayer. Really it is. That, Lord, we want to be faithful to you. Because as we're faithful to you, not only is there going to be joy in our lives and we'll experience that abundant life, but we're going to be used of you in a very wonderful way to be a godly influence to others. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the study in the book of Nehemiah that we just finished. And, Lord, so many lessons that are here. And I pray that, um, Lord, as we learn from this godly man, he had zeal. And, um, 
He was one that dealt with, um, with problems because he cared for the nation and he walked in the fear of the Lord. Lord, we want to honor you and what you would have us to do. And Lord, knowing that you remember our good works. Matter of fact, you promise there'll be rewards. And Lord, each and every day, may you be the priority. May we give you to you freely and willingly of our time, Lord, of our devotion, our service to you, of our finances, knowing that every good gift comes from above. Lord, may we give the truth of God's word to others, our speech being pleasing. And Lord, may we just really enjoy you. And Lord, be that godly influence, whatever state we find ourselves in, to those around us, coworkers, friends, neighbors, our families, our children, our grandchildren. Because the world is very dark and we can bring light to them in truth. And that's what the world needs. The kingdom of God isn't about worldly things. It's about bringing the truth of God's word and the gospel to others who need it desperately. So Lord, use us. Help us be that light. Help us in our speech to be an example of godliness and truth. Our conduct, our behavior. May we have compassion and long-suffering. May we be men and women of prayer and men and women of action, doing what we know to be right. So Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had on in the book of Nehemiah. May we take these things that we learn and apply them in our lives because we know that you have a wall for us. You are putting together a temple that is a living temple and we get to be a part of that and Lord, to use us in building that temple, the kingdom of God, with a trial in one hand, just serving, and Lord, a sword in the other, the sword of the Spirit, which Paul says is the word of God. So Father, help us as we go out. We thank you that you desire to use us and to bless us. Help us to be faithful men and women to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?